I'm on the I'm on the tail end of cold symptoms, which means I'm at the dry cough kind of stage. So uh, I I do apologize. Uh, we are uh, we're finishing up our sermon series called the Art of Neighboring this morning. This is number seven out of seven. Moving on to the Book of Leviticus, fun topic starting next week. So so everyone can gear up for that. Uh, so last last uh, last sermon on this topic for now. So. Uh, one time, I bought a really big U-Haul truck. Uh, not, not literally a U-Haul truck, but you can picture it, right? A big U-Haul box truck. Uh, I, I bought one of those one time. I, uh, I was working as a youth pastor at a Methodist church in Sioux Falls, and uh, Mandy and I were living in, in a the dorms, we were resident directors uh, at the dorms of one of our, in, in one of the dorms of our alma mater, and uh, out in the parking lot where we always parked at the college, suddenly there showed up this big box truck, this big kind of U-Haul truck, and it was for sale. And uh, suddenly my mind started to wander, like, I wonder what I could do with this box truck. Like, uh, I wonder what, wonder what kind of ministry we could do with this truck. And I started talking with a friend of mine, another Methodist youth pastor in, in the city, and we started dreaming together. We had all these kind of ideas like, like man, we could, we could help people move. Like if they didn't have anyone in town to help them, uh, you know, we, we could help them move. We, we had this ministry that we were a part of out on this uh, Native American reservation. It was like we could gather up all these things from all over town and drive. Then we could just drive it, all, all these uh, supplies out to the reservation. And, and we had all these other like little creative ideas for how we could serve the community out of this box truck, so I bought it. So uh, I, I went to our uh, our kind of leadership team at, at the church, and I, I had a proposal put together. I had this, this great flyer, and I, I told them all these things that we were planning to do with it, all this creative ministry that we want to do. And for some reason, they said, sure, you can, you can buy this box truck. And uh, so we bought it, and, uh, and we used it a few times. And... Uh, and we helped some people move, and, and we did a few little ministry things, and then it kind of broke down. And it, and it sat in the parking lot for a little while, and I had a youth leader who was a mechanic, and he was good at fixing things, so he took it to his shop, and he got it, he got it working eventually, and then by that time, uh, I had decided to move away. And so I kind of, I went off to seminary, and I quit this job, and I kind of left them with this big truck, and I was like, sorry, sorry for for your truck uh, that doesn't really work all that well, and I didn't really use it uh, all that often. Uh, it was kind of a massive crash and burn in ministry. Uh, but you know what? I would do it all over again. I'd do it again a second time. It was a total failure, total flop of a ministry. Like, we didn't use it nearly enough, and they just had to sell it a few years down the road, and I would do it again in a heartbeat. Uh, I think at least we took a risk. Like at least we went for it. At least we were creative and willing to try something. I don't think that we take enough risks and embrace failure very well in our culture. I think as a culture, we don't risk well and we're not generally okay with failure. When we're planning to do something, the stars must all be aligned and success must be guaranteed before we'll finally shove in and go for it. I, I, just, I don't think we just go for it often enough, uh, which, which is why the students and staff 
at Bozeman High's recent graduation ceremony said, uh, said the things that they said. Retiring principal Kevin Conwell said this. He said, I encourage you to use the courage, confidence, and competence you have gained from your families and your school to dare greatly, even if it means sometimes failing first. The triumphs you achieve in the end will be that much more significant and rewarding if you have put yourself out there and risked failure first. And one of the graduates, a student named Julian Harris, he said this, let's act a little foolish. Let's be crazy some of the time. Let's make fools of ourselves and be ridiculous and have fun. Let's take the risk of being embarrassed. Now that's a little less mature than the principal's comment. Uh, And maybe that's to be expected from an 18-year-old as opposed to somebody who's in retirement age. But I think the student still understands that ours is a scared, hesitant, unrisky culture. Ours, we don't go for it. And sometimes we just need to. We need to try something weird or hard or scary. We need to do something outside of our comfort zones. And especially when it comes to our faith, we need to take risks for Jesus and not be so afraid of the consequences. So, so this is my thesis this morning. This is my, my main point this morning. When it comes to loving our neighbors and being a faithful presence in our world. When it comes to the art of neighboring, I'm challenging us to have the courage to risk, and I'm offering us the freedom to fail. I think we need to have the courage to take risks, and we need to be okay if it crashes and burns, if it all goes upside down. Now, when I think about notable risk takers in Scripture, one name, at least for me, comes to mind. And maybe, there are others. There are lots of risk takers in Scripture. But for me, the one name that comes to mind first is Ruth. Ruth the risk taker. I think, for those of you who know Scripture well, I'm not going to read the whole story. It's four beautiful chapters of Scripture that you should take a look at. But for those of you who know the story, you'll, you'll remember. You'll, you'll kind of remember risk elements in the story of Ruth, right? She, uh, she has, uh, there's a woman named Naomi, and Naomi and her husband are from Bethlehem. They're Israelites, uh, and yet there's a famine in Bethlehem, and so they're forced to move. So they move to a place called Moab, and they settle down, and they make a life for themselves in, in Moab. And, uh, and things are pretty good until all of a sudden, uh, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, he passes away. And so Naomi's, uh, she's kind of lost, and yet she has these two sons, and these two sons have married two daughters named Orpah and Ruth. And so she has this small family uh, that that can care for her, but then the story gets more tragic in that her two sons pass away. So now it's Naomi and Orpah and Ruth, and they have no one to care for them. Uh, And suddenly Naomi gets word that that the drought is over uh, in Israel, and so maybe they'll head back. She'll head back to Bethlehem, and they'll take root back where she came from. She'll put put down new roots in this new place. And so they kind of start to leave, uh, but the scripture says that I, I get the sense that she changes her mind a little bit, and she says, ladies, I don't think you need to go with me. You're not from here. You're from Moab. You you should stay here in this place. You're not from Bethlehem. You don't need to come back. And Orpah, I think, wisely says, okay. 
and she just stays there. She stays in Moab. Ruth, uh, courageously, maybe stupidly, I don't know. I'm glad she does, but she says, no, I'm, I'm going with you. And literally, she says, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. That's a beautiful risk. That's a beautifully communal risk that she takes, a huge risk. She doesn't know how it's going to turn out. She doesn't have a husband. She, her her, her mother-in-law doesn't have a husband. There's, and in this culture, in this patriarchal culture, that's dangerous. And so you're leaving this place at least where things are known, and you might have some friends, and you might have some other people that might take care of you to go back. This, this could crash and burn for Ruth, and yet she's willing to risk failure in order to protect Naomi. She loves this person. She loves Naomi, even though Naomi is bitter to the point where she changes her name to the word bitter, Mara. She's, she loves this person, and she wants to care for her. She wants to work for this relationship, and so Ruth risks failure in order to love her neighbor well. Ruth is the perfect embodiment of the Good Samaritan story. As you think about somebody who would lay down their life, who, who would risk life and limb for the sake of others, uh, Ruth perfectly embodies the Good Samaritan. And she's the perfect example of having the courage to risk and the freedom to fail. It could have gone bad for her. And yet she's willing to say, oh, well, I'm going with you. Where you go, I'll go. Uh, uh, you, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Uh, but really the whole story of Scripture, I think, is one big communal risk after another. There are, there are individual stories that stand out. But if you think of the whole of Scripture, I think the whole thing is one big communal risk. You, you think about where it starts. It starts with creation, which is a massive risk. For, God, for the God of the universe to say, I'm going to make this thing and kind of set it in motion and try to be in relationship with these people, uh, that, could, that could have gone sour and has in so many ways, correct? The creation is a huge risk. You think about 12 chapters later, the calling of Abram is a huge risk. He's not, he's not a follower of this God. He kind of seems like this random dude that gets called out of Ur and called to a place where he doesn't even know where he's going, and yet he says, sure, I'll go, and he screws up a million times along the way, and yet God says, I'm going to channel kind of my work in the world through, through this guy that no one's ever even heard of. Uh, you think about the crowning of David as king. It's a massive risk. He's just a shepherd boy out in the field when he first gets anointed. Nobody knows him. Uh, it, heck, even his family members are kind of forgetting about him. He's little David out in the field, and yet God says, uh, I want to do this risky thing through this little shepherd boy. And then when you get to the New Testament, the incarnation is a massive risk. For Jesus to say, I'm going to forsake heaven and I'm going to come to earth and I'm going to be with these people that are eventually going to turn on me 
uh, and turn me over and, and eventually kill me. Huge communal risk for Jesus. The calling of the disciples is a risk. We've talked often about how screwed up they are, about how messy of a group they are. It's a huge communal risk for Jesus to call his disciples at all, and, and more specifically for him to call the, the exact disciples that he calls huge risk. The idea of the church that we're celebrating this morning is maybe the greatest risk of all. For God to send the Holy Spirit, but then to just say, I'm, I'm just entrusting you as my body to do my kingdom work in the world. Big risk. Big mistake, God. We've goofed it up so badly. All right? That's, it's a huge risk on his part. All of this could have backfired and often has with great aplomb. God is risky. It's this grand experiment called creation and life, it hasn't always gone so well, and yet God seems to have an incredible tolerance for risk and a huge capacity for failure. God, God seems okay if things crash and burn. It doesn't quite make sense. I like to control things. I like, I like to be able to manage and say, I know how this outcome is going to turn out. I know how this experiment is going to play out. I like to, to have all my ducks in a row before I go for it. And yet God seems to be okay if it all turns upside down. He seems to be okay if it backfires. He seems fine with things not going well the first time and needing to be reset or retried or done differently the next time. He seems fine handing over the stewardship of the universe to folks who just keep screwing it up. He seems fine with imperfect disciples, both then and now. God is a risk taker and is at peace with the potential for failure. So why aren't we? If, if God is, if God has, is okay with trying things out and seeing how they go, and if he's okay with things not always working out the first time, why aren't we? Why aren't we willing to give it a try? Why am I not willing to risk in small ways and big for the sake of God's kingdom? Why are we so afraid of things turning sour? If the God of the universe is okay with failure, willing to risk embarrassment and rejection on our behalf, why aren't we willing to do the same for others? I think you could say this. Anything you might do that could be meaningful and significant has the potential for failure. Anything that we could imagine that we might do that could be epic, that could be awesome, that could turn out to be so fantastic, I think also has the potential for it to crash and burn. We could lose money. We could lose friends. We could lose jobs. We could face embarrassment. We could look foolish. Anything that we might do that has, has, epic, uh, has the potential for epic outcomes, I think also has the potential for epic failure. Ecclesiastes 10.8 says this, when you dig a well, you might fall in. When you demolish an old wall, you might be bitten by a snake. I, I, I love that. When you dig a well, you might fall in. There's potential there for there to be streams of water rushing up that can provide for an entire city. 
But you also might fall in as you're digging it. There, there are consequences to our risk. Any meaningful enterprise, kingdom work, undertakings of blessing with the potential for greatness also come with the potential for failure. And you know what? Who cares? Who ca- Why do we fear failure so badly? Who cares? I, I remember there's an author, a theologian named Peter Rollins. I've maybe told this story before. But uh, he, t- he writes in one of his books about starting up kind of this worship collective, kind of this, this, this worship thing that he was doing in Ireland. He was trying to do something that mattered, something that would connect with people, something that would have an impact in people's lives. And he, he, uh, he talks about it kind of funny. He says that he tried, he, he, he eventually developed this thing called Icon, and it, and it had raving success. Uh, it was this fantastic kind of worship experience for people outside of the normal church experience. But the way he talks about Icon is that he had already tried two or three things before then that had been utter failures, total flops. They didn't work at all. No one came. No one connected. Total failure. And he says that after Icon, he had six or seven other things that he was going to try if Icon didn't work out either. And this one thing just happened to work, and so he went with it. But he didn't... I love the fact that he'd be okay with trying 10 different things and having them fail, and he would just try the 11th thing after that. Uh, I, I love being okay with failure. Let's be people who strive for excellence, who work for community, who want meaning and significance in the things that we do, but who are okay with failure, who don't view failure as an indictment of our character or a reason to give up and quit trying. Let, let's redefine failure. Let's, let's rethink failure. As someone uh, who was courageous enough to risk greatly and who won't let setbacks keep them from risking again, that's the kind of failure that I want to be. So what if I mess up? So what if I go for it with my neighbor? So what if I try this new ministry on my block and it flops big time? Well, at least I tried. At least I got out there and did something and I'll try something else too. Uh, I'll, I'll keep going. Uh, I, have a, uh, I have a friend who recently tried to create community uh, in their neighborhood, and almost no one showed up to their gathering. Uh, and, uh, and they were telling me this story of kind of epic failure. And uh, you know what I said to them? I said, awesome. What are you going to try next? Uh, and, and I think it's beautiful that they're trying anything at all. I think it's awesome that they're willing to risk and they're not afraid of failure. I think it's incredible. Uh, We need to risk a little bit more. Uh, Rob Bell says this in in his book, How to Be Here. Whenever you create anything, you take a risk, and that includes your life. It it may work out. It may not. It may be well-received. It may not be. It's always a risk to take action. It might not work. It might blow up in your face. You might lose money. You might fail. No one may get it. But that's not the only risk. There's another risk, the risk of not trying it. Now, how is, how is not trying a risk? You risk settling and continue, continuing in the same direction in the same way, wondering about other paths and possibilities, believing that this is as good as it gets while discontent gnaws away at your soul. There's always two risks. 
There's the risk of trying something new, and there's, there's the risk of not trying it. Either way, there's a risk. And sometimes stepping out and trying something new is actually the, the less risky thing to do. So, so let's be willing to take risk when, when it comes to loving our neighbors. As we close up this series and we enter the summer season, Let's not sit on the, light, on the sidelines of life. Let's not get to the end of this journey wondering what if we'd only had the courage to risk and felt the freedom to fail. Let, let's be a little crazy for our faith. I, I love what J.R. Briggs says in his book, Ministry Mantras. He says, God uses crazy people for kingdom purposes. He says, imagine if radical was the norm. What if we embraced and even encouraged the craziness in our faith in Christ? He says, our God is not safe and our Christ is not predictable. So why should we be? The world doesn't need more sensible and respectable Christians who do what we've always done. We need more crazy Christians in all the best possible ways. So, When it comes to loving our neighbors and being a faithful presence where God has us, let's be willing to go outside our comfort zones. Let's be okay with failure. And let's take risks for Jesus. I know it can be a little scary, a little daunting, a little nerve-wracking. But this this is what Rob Bell says about nerves. He says nerves are God's gift to you. Reminding that you that life is not passing you by. Nerves are God's gift to you. Reminding you that, you that your life is not passing you by. Make friends with the butterflies. Welcome them when they come. Revel in them. Enjoy them. And if they go away, do whatever it takes to put yourself in a position where they return. Better to have a stomach full of butterflies than to feel like your life is passing you by. So let's let this be the summer where we finally go for it in our faith, where we take a risk, where we feel nervous, where we feel outside of our comfort zone, where we finally embrace being neighborly, where we go for it and meeting that neighbor and saying hi to that person that, man, I've been seeing them on the street walking their dog for years. I've I've been singing in that that quartet with them for years. I've been... I've been uh, on that soccer team, on that softball team. We've been in that same pack group together for years, and I've never said anything. And, And it's time for us to finally meet each other. Let's let this be the summer where we finally go for it. And we can do it. We can do this thing that is being a faithful presence in our neighborhood. You know why? Because it's Pentecost. We literally have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. With each step of the journey, as we courageously step out in faith to creatively love and bless our neighbors, the Spirit of God goes with us, walks with us, is beside us, is guiding us, is directing us, will give us the words to say, will give us the the right actions to live out. The God of the universe has come down from on high and dwells with us each step of the way, There is no reason for fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. So let's finally embark on living faithfully in the place that God has us. Wherever God has put you, let's make this the summer where we go for it. 
where we have the courage to risk and feel the freedom to fail. Who, who cares if it crashes and burns? Try something new then. Go for it. At least life isn't passing us by. Let's try some things. Let's go for it. Let's not hold back. And if we get bucked off, oh well. Let's just get back on and try again. Let's have the courage to risk and the freedom to fail. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you courageously stepped into our world, that you courageously stepped into relationship with us. We are so grateful. You shouldn't have done it. It might, might have been a mistake. And yet we are grateful for your courage. We are grateful for the great risk that is creation, that, that was incarnation, that is Pentecost, the ways in which you continue to be present with us because you love us because you wanted to be our neighbor and care for us and love us and be faithfully present with us. Help us to do the same. Give us the courage to take risks for our faith, to be bold in how we connect with and love and bless our neighbors. Provide opportunities where we might be faithfully present with one another, where we might be a presence of blessing for the people in our lives that desperately need it. And if we mess up, who cares? Help us to affirm each other in our mess-ups. Help us to be honest with one another in our mess-ups. To kind of laugh at our mistakes and say, you got this next time. To encourage one another. God, would you bless our efforts mightily. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.